0: Try to listen to those that have been ahead of you, that have been there. Listen to the mentors. That was the lesson I took from that one, was that if I ask somebody a question who's been there before me, whatever they say, if I agree with it or not, I'm going to follow that direction. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while
1: working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. My Great To us listeners, if you want to manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial cap and gain taxes. One option that may help solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange. Because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes, and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches involved with being an active landlord. Ray DeWitt is a managing director with Bank Tanger Financial Services, and his goal is to help you understand all the rules associated with the 1031 exchanges. To learn more, visit their website at bantangarfinancials.com and browse the library of education material. Please be sure to see the disclosures and show notes. Welcome back, my Great Wealth listeners. Today, I have the pleasure to bring to you Tom Burns. He's an orthopedic surgeon turned investor. I have been looking forward to this meeting. I've known Tom in similar circles for a while now, but I think his story is going to resonate very well with you because he's a trained orthopedic surgeon and now he's a full-time investor. He has a company that's kind of focused on helping people with investments as well. The insights I want you to draw out of this discussion is going to be more around what made someone like Tom, who's a very intelligent and very capable man, to shift from being a full-time surgeon, which is arguably a very respected and financially beneficial career, to become a full-time investor. And when I want to do that, I want you to put an angle of How can you apply similar principles, if possible, into your life and turn around whatever you've been doing? You feel stuck on it or you feel like you've been drained on it and that's not your passion anymore? How to turn it around? That's really what the perspective I want to take this interview with. Tom, with that said, thank you again for coming on the show. Appreciate it, buddy. Oh,
0: thanks, Zach. I'm glad we finally got it scheduled.
1: You had better things to do, like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, so you can't argue with that.
0: (laughs) I'm glad we finally got together.
1: Yeah, definitely. Tom, before we start, we got to hear the Kilimanjaro story, man. So help us understand. I know you just came back from a trip from Africa. What made you climb? What made you set that goal? Was that something that you always wanted to do? Something that you saw somebody else doing? You're like, why not? What was going through your head? Yeah, I just got
0: back about 12 days ago, so the jet lag's finally gone, but I've never had this great urge to climb any big mountains. I do spend time in the mountains doing some things I do in the wilderness, which is kind of a frequent thing for me. But Kilimanjaro has popped up for the last three, four, five years as something that looked fun to do. But the reason I thought about it is I actually had a friend who's climbed it 12 times with a guy who's climbed it 49 times. He is a teacher and he does a leadership experience inside of the climb to Kilimanjaro. So you want to know what my motivation was? It was like, hey, it'd be cool to climb Kilimanjaro, but my motivation was to go up and do the leadership experience. So I tried to do this for the last three years and kind of couldn't get away. You know, family wanted me to be at home. And so this was my birthday present was the permission to go climb Kilimanjaro. So that's really the crux of it. And so it was a blast. We spent close to two weeks in Africa and the climb itself was seven days. And fantastic weather. We had absolutely fabulous weather. I mean, so much so that the guides had not seen weather that good in years. So that was nice. Oh, wow. Gods were with me. It's got a lot of good physical stuff to you, but it's kind of one foot in front of the other, learn how to breathe. And if you can keep the acute mountain sickness away and the headaches away, then eventually you'll be standing at 19,300 feet. That's what we did. Learned a lot of lessons in leadership from the prescribed program we were doing and learned a lot of lessons just watching the guides do their thing.
1: That's awesome, Tom. Well, we'll probably have to do one more episode on just climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Of <laughs> how you got trained, what did you Absolutely. do. We'll do another one for that. But for this show, when you saw the word migrate to wealth, I want to always understand from somebody else, what did you take away from that title?
0: Migrate means to move from one place to another. You can think of that physically. You can migrate from California to Texas like everybody has in the last bunch of years. You can migrate from another country to the United States or vice versa. For me, I've always been a Texas boy, but my migration's been more in the mind. You've got to migrate your mindset to where you want to be because if you use the thinking that you have today and you want to be someplace At a different level you've got to change your thinking so you've got to migrate your thinking to the person that you want to be in the future
1: that is amazing that's exactly what led me to launch the show which is more about migration as a concept from anywhere to anywhere it could be physical it could be mental it could be emotional it could be relationship it could be anything you want to do is migrating from anywhere you are today to anywhere you want to be and make it more intentional i'm glad it resonated well with you in that regards So, Tom, what has been your migration journey, man? I know you were a trained orthopedic surgeon, and now you're a full-time investor. You have a whole business around it. You have your own masterminds. You're a best-selling author. So help us understand what has been your migration journey, and what is keeping you migrating?
0: It's been a constant process of growth. One of my values is growth. My three core values are adventure, connection, and growth. And the reason I say that is if you're not growing a little bit, you're stagnating, and you become... You know ripe and rotten right so it's exciting to learn new things sometimes it's painful or hard so if you want to know the story i started really as a kid as an athlete pretty okay athlete but you know not good enough somebody was going to pay me for it so (laughs) that migration was from okay i guess i can't chase girls and play sports i need to do something and so i went into orthopedic surgery sports medicine because that's where i can hang out with athletes as people i understood Mm -hmm. so i went through that process and went to med school and then went into orthopedics. And for those that aren't familiar with the medical people, you know, you do college and then you do four years of medical school. And then after that's a thing called residency. It's five years after medical school to learn how to be an orthopedic surgeon. That's where the next migration in mindset came. So I could, I was doing my thing. I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon. It seemed like a fun yeah. gig and it was for 30 years, but we're trained in the apprenticeship model and trained by doctors that are 10, 20, 30 years ahead of us. And that's us, right? In 20 or 30 years. I started seeing these guys and I didn't necessarily like what I saw. They had money, had nice houses, drove nice cars, worked their tails off. They were in the hospital late at night, no matter what age they were. They're complaining about not having control somewhere on their second, third marriages. Right. And that's when the mind shift started this happened enough times i tell people it was blind luck or touch from an angel i finally said you know what i don't necessarily want their money if i have to have their life so i thought i've got to find something else i didn't think okay that something else is going to be real estate i searched around because i knew nothing had zero training in anything eventually kind of landed on the fact that hey you know i understand real estate it's simple math you don't have to be first in or last out. Yeah. I started learning then. And so that's what started the process. I started learning as I was, at, before I was actually a card carrying orthopedic surgeon, I thought, you know, I need some oh, wow. income that's not correlated with medicine. I think it'd be smart to have some income coming in that's not correlated with medicine so I don't have to be those guys in 10 years and be unhappy with right. where I am. And there was a progression from there.
1: So let me just make sure I get it correct. As a surgeon, you spend about nine years in school after you finish your college. For me, it was 10.
0: Five years of orthopedic residency, and I did an extra year of sports medicine specializing. So I'm an orthopedic sports medicine specialist.
1: I would just say that by the time you start making any real money, it's going to be 32. When you look back, when we talk about you looking forward 20, 30, 40 years by reflecting on what you're seeing in the people that are training you, Because those are the people that you're probably emulating, their lifestyle, their culture, and a lot of that stuff, because that's where you're learning from. Absolutely. And that seems right when that's your sort of go-to model. When did you start realizing that? Were you already around the age 32 when you realized you don't want it? Or was it after first one or two, three years of you post-college, real-life money, when did you start thinking about, I may not want what I see this is resulting into?
0: So, finished college at 22, finished med school at 26, and between 26 Mm. and 32 was in that training period. So, I was probably 29 ish. You know, I was in the middle of that orthopedic training when I thought, man, these guys don't have control of their lives. I didn't want anybody telling me what to do.
1: Give us a little bit more hint into that. Let's go deeper into that because you can't just wake up one day and that, and maybe you didn't, I don't know what happened to you. So what caused that? Was that something going on in your life at that time which kind of made you question the lifestyle that this profession will offer you?
0: It was more of a long-term thing. My wife and I, when we got married, we made a vow that you know, no matter what we're gonna go through, we're gonna try to find a way to make it fun. Life's a great journey. It's got its ups and downs, but there's a lot of joy in life. I saw these guys, they were not joyful guys. <laughs> Or gals. Yeah. They had the money and they were doing something that I thought was really fun. I really enjoyed orthopedics. It's a yeah. lot of fun. But they were complaining. They weren't happy guys. They couldn't hold down a marriage. And so that didn't fit with the philosophy that we had. And I wanted yeah. to make sure that I had the choice of what to do, what was fun. I like to travel. It's a huge hot button for me. They were somewhat tied down. So it was a number of years, but a bunch of little paper cuts just kept happening that they all added up enough to think, I've got to go look for something else. And so I spent the other half of that training period kind of looking at what I could, you know, do I trade stocks? Do I start a business? Do I go into administration? I went through all those dead ends and ended up on real
1: estate. So let me ask this. I was talking to you about one of my partner on my venture capital fund is also an orthopedic surgeon. And when I talked to him about his life as a trainee, he didn't have any time at all to do anything but being trained. You took on completely new learning module on, I am going to learn how to invest in real estate. And also that took time. So how are you balancing it all out for, and this is really the question for people who say that I don't have time, right? That's really what I'm trying to go after with that question is. Your life as a resident, as a fellow is pretty hard. From my wife's side of the family, we have a lot of doctors in the family. And when I look at them and talk to them, nobody wants to go back yeah. in that time again because it was a lot of hard work and there was a lot of uh, lack of sleep. Right. So how did you balance it all out?
0: I mean, it's so cliche. We've all got the same 24 hours, right? I mean, you sit down and watch a golf tournament or you can read something about real estate. So if you really want something, mm. you'll find the time. We all know that. We all find the time to take care of our kids whether we've got one kid or six kids true, and so true. there's people out there that have less time than a resident still getting things done you know maybe they've got two jobs and a bunch of kids to take care of or single parents so it not want to sound too high and mighty but we've all got time to do something if we really want something you'll find the time so it was exciting it was new growth it was kind of a new passion so i yeah. did everything i could to kind of learn about this new thing
1: perfect so let's move forward so you're now around 32 you graduated did you practice as a surgeon or at that time you decided that's not what you want to do at all?
0: No, I practiced for 30 years. So I started my practice, you know what, 91, something like that. Got my feet wet. I was still learning the real estate stuff. And I'll tell you what I did was, you know, started to make reasonable money as an orthopedic surgeon. And so what I did was I paid off bills, paid off my meager student mm-hmm. loans, nothing like what your friends might have now, but yeah paid that kind of stuff off, paid all the bills I paid my parents back because I had to borrow money from them because I was broke when I got back to Austin. And so once that was all set, I had sort of done my diligence, learned about real estate. Yeah. I jumped in.
1: How did you learn about real estate? Was it just through books or did you have a mentor? Did you have any? Because one thing is that the <clears throat> ecosystem that you had when you're in the training to be a doctor, you probably were around people like you who were trying to become a doctor. Or training right. to get become a doctor. Most of them were not even thinking about real estate, leave aside what kind of life they want to live 30 years from. Today. Right. So how did you explore these resources? So early on, it was books. They didn't have Google there <laughs> at that time.
0: <laughs> yeah. I didn't have a computer. My first computer I talked DOS commands into. So oh, wow. that was after I was practicing. So it was mostly reading. And I would have patience. you know, what do you do? Oh, I'm a real estate developer, really, you know, what's that like? So you just ask questions, you ask. The person that asks the questions is the one that's in power, right? And so I would just ask right. a lot of questions because I knew nothing and just gathered all the information I could. When I got back and had more time, a little bit more resources, that's when I more people had some friends from high school and college who were real estate folks, so I talked to them. What mm. are you doing? What's good? What's it like? How do you do this? What are the risks? All that kind of stuff. And some of those people eventually, you know, offered partnerships or positions in their deals. I took some, I didn't take others. So I was just gathering information from anywhere I could. Then obviously over time, the internet started getting some things. You know, I would just basically look, I'd go to the library, I'd grab books. Then, you know, Amazon wasn't cooking at the time, but as each thing got laid, as Amazon showed up and podcasts showed up and then seminars, you know, I did go to a number of seminars, not all on real estate. I would go to anything. You know, I went to seminars on how to buy discount notes, anything to learn. It got more involved from there. You know? So now it's podcast seminars online. You know, we get, everything's at our fingertips now. And I'm still learning, by the way. It won't ever stop.
1: Wow, Tom. Tom, this is amazing because I think you know, I look back, even myself, it's easy to say things are hard, right? But then you look at, it's hard when you have Google. It's hard when you have podcasts. When was it not hard? It was always hard. You can focus on it's hard, or you can focus on how hard can it be? Where can I go find the answers? I think the approach that you took, it seemed like, and I'm putting words in your mouth, was more around, I'm not going to focus on I don't have the time. I'm not going to focus on it's very hard. I'm not going to focus on my life sucks because I have to build a practice and all that good stuff, or I don't have the right resources. I'm just going to go find the people, find the resources. I'm going to make it happen. And I believe that really happened because you were – form in your resolve that your day job, which was running a practice and a very successful yeah. one, was not it. It was a means to an end. And you loved doing it, but that was going to be a means to an end in the next 30, 40, 50 right. years. That's not the life you want to live.
0: That's 100%. The goal was not to have a means to live. The goal was to have a life. And you talk about the wording and kind of what you're talking about is how you talk to yourself, you know, and your words are important. Yeah. The words you use to others the words you use to yourself are important you can say i don't have time or you can say i'll make the time or you can say i don't know how to do that or i will find out how to do that or who knows how to do that so it's just the way you talk to yourself and you'll always find the time you'll always grow a little bit each day and it took me time you know i mean gee whiz mistakes like crazy you know life's up and down so you you learn lessons from little mistakes you learn lessons from big mistakes and you know those just propel you forward but we've all got that option. And if you've got something that's pulling you to whatever your version of success is, you know, you got something that just tugs at your shirt, tugs at your heart, makes you want to be there. And so if I wanted to have the freedom, I just wanted the freedom to know what to do, the freedom to be able to decide what to do with my time, whether it's travel, do orthopedics, play with my kids or whatever. After seeing what I saw in training, I didn't feel like those guys had control of their time. And so right. that's what I wanted. And so that was a big driving force. That's why I let compounding do its thing. I just tried to move one right. foot forward every day.
1: Tom, let's talk about, you said some of the lessons, right? Some of the mistakes. We won't go talk about the examples of the mistakes, but we'll now focus predominantly on the investing side. As you look back predominantly on the investing side, what are some of the things that you would say somebody is going into their world today or somebody's new to that world? They are not necessarily as sophisticated as you would be right now after 30, 40, 50 years under your belt, what would those lessons be? And then also think about is what framework should they use? What lens should they use to evaluate those mistakes? Because mistakes is one thing. We got to learn from those mistakes. If you can answer those, that'd be great.
0: Never pass up the chance to learn a lesson from a mistake. Never waste a good mistake because there's a lesson in every one of them. And that's going to make you money in the future, give you time in the future, save you trouble and heartache in the future. Most people going forward as you start, and we all have this, we've all got a little bit of greed in us, right? I know I do. It's all there, right? Do you want to win the lottery? Of course. What are your odds? Astronomical. So it's nice to acknowledge what can happen if things go well, but Always try to sit back and look at what's going to happen if things go bad. What's worst case scenario? And it runs the gamut. It can be okay. if Things go bad, I lose everything, or I can lose half, or you know, I don't get my money for a while. Try to look at worst case scenario. And you know, if it's something where it's got high return and high risk, and you could lose everything, maybe that's something you invest less money into or don't invest in. It just depends on your right. situation. Sometimes there is gambling money you can throw out there. Always try to assume you know, or try to understand. If things don't go well on the diligence side, always, you know, is it Ronald Reagan? Trust, but verify for sure. You know, verify it. And, you know, when you're new, you want to try to verify at least through those that have maybe invested with others or those that have done what you're wanting to do. Try to get some guidance. I sought guidance from somebody once for a deal I was investing in. And I sought guidance and he said, you know, I'm not so sure this is in your favor. I'm not so sure you should do this. But, you know, I was Tom Burton, so I was smarter than my mentor at the time I did the deal Mm -hmm. and he was 100% right. Everything he said came true. So try to listen to those that have been ahead of you, that have been there. Listen to the mentors, not like I didn't. But that was the lesson I took from that one was that, you know, if I ask somebody a question who's been there before me. Whatever they say, if I agree with it or not, I'm going to follow that direction. That was the lesson I learned from that particular incident. So try to talk to somebody that's been there. Try to understand what will happen if things go bad. Because, and try to know that if you're going to be in this world, you're going to have things that aren't going to work out. You know, right. You're going to have markets like we've got now. It's not going to always be like it was the last 12 years. And go at it. And the last thing I guess I'll say is I always like to use a baseball metaphor. You know, if you stand at the plate, it feels really good to hit a home run. You know, the crowd cheers, you get to strut around the bases. It's great for the ego, but man, hitting a lot. But if you strike out the next five times, people start to forget about that home run. So try to hit singles, small deals, maybe even small investments, just a number of investments over time. They will compound and the compound effect is, is really fascinating. It doesn't seem like it changes your life early on. And then all of a sudden it gathers steam and it goes up in an exponential fashion if you continue to do something every day and add to it.
1: I love that last comment. Not that everything else was not, but I think I really, really, really liked that and resonated very well with that because most of us in life, be it our job, be it our profession, be it investing, we want to hit home runs all the time. right? We just want to make sure this is the deal, Saket. I'm telling you, this is the deal that's going to make it or break it. It's going to change my entire life. It may, more than likely it won't, but it may. There's definitely right. a possibility. <laughs> and you may chase that, but if that's all you're chasing, that's all you have. I think what you're talking about is there's probably beauty in diversifying your risk, right? Beauty in trying to say, hey, you know what? Instead of buying that million dollar house, what if I buy five 200K homes? Is that going to get me a little bit more consistency, a little bit lesser risk? So what you're saying is don't forego singles in the hope of home runs. But also there may be home runs in your life. So keep an open eye on that. But if they don't happen very often, home runs don't happen very often.
0: They really don't. If I look back on my life, my whole focus was on creating at least a dollar of passive income, hopefully more, but you know, something that was going to come in whether I worked or not. And if I look back, I was blessed with good partners, good education. It took some time, but it was all those singles that put me in a position where I could start throwing the dice on those gambles and I'm probably owe for whatever on the big home run swings. So a real fan of good, solid singles investing.
1: But I think now you have a lot more risk appetite as well, right? Because I think it also depends upon where you are in your life, what stage of your life you're in, right. and how much Absolutely. risk appetite you have. If somebody's starting out at right. 22, starting to invest, and they put all their money into one single deal, it may work out. I'm not saying it won't. But the likelihood of that working out may not be that high. The risk you're taking right. is... Let me ask this question, Tom, which is where I was going with that also, is that how important is your first deal to work out in your favor? It kind of like, you hear that time and time along, I don't want my first deal to go wrong. Now, there's no guarantee it won't go wrong or it will go right. What is your perspective when you look back in your investing career? How important was the first deal to work out for your psychological comfort, but also yeah. more important for you to keep going?
0: So I guess I'll talk about that out of two sides of my mouth. Yes, yeah. my first deal worked out. I still own the first deal I ever bought. So it's- wow. 30 years old, you know, whatever. So I still own that deal. I'd call that a success, you know, I get money from it every month. I don't touch the thing. All I do is, you know, the cash, just check just cashes itself or whatever it gets deposited. So that was nice because that first deal and kind of leads to another point, but I guess I won't go to that new point, but that first deal, I didn't know anything. It took a lot of work and it was hard to do and all that stuff and obviously it worked out. So the the lesson learned there was, you know, number one, I don't have to know everything. There's people there that can help. Number two, you know, these deals can work and you know give it a few years and these small deals can inflation and rent growth and amortization and all that stuff eventually starts making the cash flow even better so that was great that gave me the optimism and the ability and the want to go do more so i bought like yeah. 12 more of those things so that was good and maybe where you're going is start small get that first deal to where you know invest $25,000 yeah. in a syndication or buy a small house or something mine was a little condo i didn't know what i was doing that's just what was available at the time The flip side is you can buy those deals. They can go well. They can keep going well. And after a while, you start believing your own BS, right? I must be a really good investor. So I'm going to do this other deal that nobody else will do because I'm so good. And that's when you'll get your lesson. So if that first deal goes bad, it does one of two things. And I've seen it happen both ways. It basically shuts somebody off and they go back to the W-2 or the 1099 and say, you know, I was right. Investing doesn't work and it's too painful. I don't want to go back to it. Or A lesson gets learned. And that person, if they've got a really strong mental constitution, if they've migrated to the right place, their goal is really still pulling them there. They're going to take those lessons and say, that's never going to happen to me again. And then the next dozen of their deals might go well. So everything's a depends. There is yin and yang. There's always two sides to the coin. But all told, it's a lot nicer to have your first deal work out.
1: Yeah, I agree. But let's go a bit if it doesn't work out, because there's a probability of that. Yep. This is a thought experiment. I don't know if you have the answer or not because I'm thinking about that answer for a lot of my own investors and my own self. As yep. in. If you were to restart it, is there a frame of reference you can say that, you know what, if I lose it, at least I got in. And can you reframe your mind to go into the deal, consider that you're going to lose? Would that be helpful? Because if you're going with this now, you don't want to lose, but you want to try to be ready for it. I think the premise that we're trying to handle here is that there is a likelihood of it being a success and there's also a likelihood of it not turning in your favor. If it's success, right. we all yeah. know that you're going to take all the credit as an investor that I did. Though I ran all the best decisions. Of course, if it goes bad, life sucks. Investing is hard. Somebody cheated or something didn't work out. Like You don't take any blame, not any responsibility for that. So the thing I'm trying to think is that going into your first few deals, assuming that this is the college tuition, right? This is somewhere, right. if it works out great, if it doesn't work out, I need to have the appetite and the stomach to digest the loss, but I'm going to keep moving. Is there a way to reframe your brain and approach it like that? In your experience, when Bye. you're talking to your investors and you look back at your life, if that would have happened to you, you wouldn't even have gone forward with investing. You would have put maybe stocks or something else because the first few deals in not yeah. work. Out. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh boy, if it's more than one, it really pounds you down. But yeah, I think I'd reframe a little, so I don't want to assume that it's going to go poorly, but do the calculations, do the scenario. Okay, it's taken me a year to save up $25,000, now I'm going to invest it in this deal, You know, run through the scenario. What's it going to feel like if I don't have that 25,000 or 50 or a hundred or whatever it's going to be?
1: Yeah.
0: Am I going to quit? You try to do it on the front end. Again, you go through the kind of left brain stuff to figure, okay, what are the odds of this happening? But I liked what you said about viewing it as tuition. People pay money for coaches and masterminds and mentorship and things like Mm -hmm. like that. And you do learn a lot from that. Absolutely. You learn a ton from being in the game. I have a chapter in my book, I'll get in the game. That's when you really Mm -hmm. start learning. So if you think, okay, I'm going to learn some lessons. That first deal I did, that went well, but I learned a ton of lessons. And I don't know what my mindset would have been if it would have fallen apart, but the lessons would have still been there. I'd have had the strength and fortitude, I would have gone on to the next one with those lessons and hopefully made it work. So, you want to go in, plan for the worst, hope for the best, cliche kind of stuff, but you always need to be prepared to lose your money. And I mean, now it's not frequent, but it's always possible. And we've noted that in the last, what, six months or so, things, yeah. have, things have taken a bit of a turn the last 12 months. So... And people are finding out that, oh, gee, real estate doesn't always go up and you don't always make money. You know, Warren Buffett was right. The tide's gone out. There's some people swimming naked. So yeah. you have to know those times are coming. Probably difficult now for some people that went through the last decade because you could throw a dart and everything would work. It's a lot of soul searching that's probably difficult for a first-time investor. So one thought might be, you do all this thinking and this planning, but maybe you find somebody that has done it and you go through it together. Because then that mm. accountability partner or that mentor, that partner or buddy can help you get through that move to the next one. Because you said something else. You said, obviously, if it goes bad, somebody cheated, the market was bad, et cetera. Those were going to be there anyway. You got to look back and say, what did I do? What did I miss? What did I not assume? Did I assume interest rates were always going to be 3%? Tom, you check for the future. Now you'll be looking at interest rates and you'll do tables. You'll do uh, feasibility studies you'll check what happens if it goes up to six that sort of thing so that's the hardest thing is taking responsibility with yourself nobody will know if you did or not but you got to sit down with yourself and say you know socket was it you or was it the market maybe it was the market but what did you miss or what did you at least not think of what can you do next
1: time so that might help yeah and i think it's also i also want to draw one more parallel with stock market right i think most people beat themselves too much if they lost $25,000 in a real estate deal. But the same amount of pounding is not observed when they lose 20, 30, 40% of their portfolio in the stock market, right? I think there's probably also, there's some sort of understanding that you have, and everyone has to do this on their own searching, that the market and the stock market has gone down 25, 30%. I'm not stopping to invest in the stock market. I'm still staying in the game. For a 401k, it could be an IRA, it could be whatever, right? So just yeah. because you have seen a loss, that does not mean the investment is not right. It's, you're still investing. And just because it's real estate does not mean it's less risky or more risky. You still have to understand the asset. You still have to go in. Right. I believe that if it's a real estate, you actually understand it better than buying an Apple stock because right. oh, you have no yeah. idea what Tim Cook is thinking. But if you're buying a real estate or if you're investing in a syndication, you know what a syndicator is thinking because he's telling you that or she's right. telling you that. So I think part of that is also trying to make sure that you are bringing some reality check into, are you comparing apples to apples? Are you being too hard on yourself? And just because it's real estate, you think it's easy. It's where did your thought process, not in just investing decisions, is how are you approaching it could also be a little bit misguided. So I think to your point, just I want right. to add those points on top of it. That when you're soul searching, a lot of that is, needs to be taught too, to make sure that you're not misaligning the responsibilities and you're comparing apples to apples.
0: Right. No, it's really important to understand that you have some control. You don't have much control in the stock market. You know, you're in or out, right? You can't tell Kim, Tim Cook what to do. You can't tell interest rates where to go, but you, there's some things no. you can do with hard assets and real estate that you own. So, yeah, it's psychological thing. And it's real easy to say, you know, try to figure out what it's going to be like if we miss that, if you lose that money and try to take the lessons. But I've been around long enough years and this gray hair is growing just because to realize that pretty much every mistake I've made has had a good lesson to it. When you're going through them, it is not fun at all, but you waste it. You can't go back and change it, right? You can't go back in time. So you can't change the circumstance. And it's the old deal of how you respond to it. So, you're going to lose the money one way or another. At least take some gravy off the top. Take the lesson with it. You've got to look at it that way. It seems hard to do, but it's like self-preservation. You think, okay, I screwed up. I'm not going to do that again. And it's really helpful right. going forward.
1: So Tom, what are you doing in these tumultuous times where the capital markets are crazy? Are you sitting on the sidelines? Are you investing? Are you looking at the deals? Have you changed your asset class? What is your focus?
0: I'm always looking at stuff just because I think you need to stay in the market. So always looking through various tentacles that I have out in the world, but not investing a lot right now. And I'm looking for opportunity, and I don't think we're going to have the carnage we had in 2009, 2008, mm-hmm. nine, but you know, there's going to be opportunity. I'm just looking for a deal that is going to create a positive on the buy, right? Right now, yeah. it's hard to do that. So pretty much stayed in the multifamily world, made one move into a portfolio of extended stay hotels, mm. which is sort of like workforce housing. Just a little different twist uh, that does that did very well during the pandemic, so we'll see how that goes. but right now, sitting back, I mean the multifamily world is still good. I think we're going to have a bit of a shortage of apartments in a couple of years because development's way down, so you know and there's still that dislocation between buyers and sellers, but that yeah. gap's narrowing, and so <laughs> there's going to be opportunity out there you know we're still underbuilt, people are going to need that. They'll figure out what to do with offices, industrials, you know, it's good in some places and overbuilt in others. You know, there's just so many assets. That's why I love real estate, you know, so many asset classes. So true. I'm just watching, true. pretty much trying to stay in my multifamily lane, but looking at some other stuff, but staying in multifamily.
1: That's awesome. I get, there's so much to learn from you, my friend. Uh, there's so much, so much insights and so much. You're so free with your, yeah, well, you're a heart-centric person. I could see it. I knew it, but I can also see it now that I've spent almost 40 minutes with you on the podcast one-on-one. So that's been <laughs> tremendously valuable to me. But thank you for taking the time. We're coming towards the end. I know I can spend three, or four more hours and it won't be enough. So I want to be respectful of your time as well. So we're <laughs> oh, coming towards got. the end of our show. Um, if you were to look back at your life and when you were back in your early 20s, like yeah. when you were starting to think about, I want to be a sportsman versus I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon, whichever way you are going to go that. What's one insight you will share with that 20-year-old person that will drastically alter the trajectory of their migration in life?
0: I would tell that young person two things. Stop every day and just see life, see what you're doing. You know, Rather than looking at the tasks ahead, stop and enjoy life. And The way I would suggest to do it, I'm a nature fan, Mm -hmm. and so I like to get out in nature. That's where I do my meditation, is in nature. So I would probably tell that young person, because I know this young person didn't do it, and I didn't realize I was meditating when I was hiking up and down mountains and stuff, but Mm -hmm. get some time for yourself to really try to understand who you are and who you want to be, and spend some time... Really centering yourself. I did not pick up sort of that meditation, self reflection practice until later in life. And it's been a big game changer to realize that life's not perfect. Life is wonderful. Life is a gift. Every day, whether things are going good or bad, this is a really fun thing to do, is to be alive on planet Earth. So enjoy it. And you know, sometimes yeah. at age 20, you think, well, I've got to do this, this, and this. And by the time I'm 30, I'm going to be a partner. By the time I'm 40, I'll be doing this. And all of a sudden you look back and you know, your 20s and 30s are gone. So enjoy every day. Spend some self-reflection time. I think that'll help anybody and everybody at any age.
1: That's true. I was just going to say, it's not just an insight for a 20-year-old. It's probably going to be 40-year-olds as well that could use that. And hopefully at 40, right. you're already doing that. But if not, try and consider that and see if there's a way to implement that. That'd be awesome. Tom, last question, my friend. We're going to take a little bit different approach with the last question is more broader perspective. When you look back and think about humanity, because you seem like you're a self-reflective man, and you like to ask the questions that most people don't, to yourself, where should humanity as a whole should migrate towards in the next two to three decades?
0: If you look back in history, you look at stories in the Bible, there always, always seems to be yin and yang, right? There's always good and bad yeah. people. So we know they're going to be there. And you mentioned it when we talked before we started the recording, that it's always nice to have some impact. And I know you brought it up, but it's a true thing. I personally am not concerned about legacy. You know, when I'm gone, I'm dust, right? I just want to make sure yeah. my kids, you know, maybe that's the legacy. The kids have the tools to do what they want to do. But while we're here, man, if every person just every day just wanted to find out a way to do something nice for somebody, even if it's giving yeah. somebody a quarter or helping somebody out of a chair or helping a hundred people create their freedom. Or when I was in Africa, we were giving people amputees, lower limb prostheses, for 250 bucks, in two hours, they could walk again. You know, those wow. are life-changing things. So you don't have to do something to that magnitude. But if you just help the guy next to you, just, you know, smile at somebody. That's all it takes. Just smile at somebody. I think humanity yeah. would go back to being more global. I think we would all solve a lot <clears> more <throat> problems. But maybe that's not human nature.
1: I think that is human nature. But I think we have a lot of fogs on top of it. We've been distracted from loving and being helping and caring and compassion fashion. I think greedy is probably the best way to describe it. As you were initially said, everyone has a greed. I think it has a little bit overpowered us. It's important. Greed is important because that sometimes pushes you, but there's things beyond greed that we need to figure that out too.
0: None of us are Mother Teresa, but it's a lot more fun to have a nice, fun conversation like this or to sit with somebody than it is to have a fight with somebody, you know? So pick your poison, you know, you want to feel good or feel bad.
1: That's true. Well, Tom, thank you again, my friend, for an insightful conversation could not have enough time with you we will bring you back on the show at some point in the future again thank you for taking the time
0: my pleasure i appreciate being here if you got value from this episode you might consider sharing this content with a friend but most importantly be sure to take action on what you've learned one way you can take the next step is to connect directly with socket on an investor call that link is waiting for you in the show notes below
1: The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.